after I finished in our section from last week in Galatians uh, chapter 3, John Mark came and asked me, he said, I was going to ask you, well, what is the purpose of the law then? Uh, but he said, but I looked at verse 19 and it says, why then the law? So I figured we were going to cover that this week. Um, it's a good question because it seems like Paul has made the law completely obsolete. I was trying to think about a, a good illustration and um, it didn't seem to come very well, but there are things that are becoming obsolete as technology increases. Um, for instance, payphones. Do you see payphones much anymore? They're becoming very obsolete with the advent of, of cell phones. So cell phones have come and, and somewhat replaced the need for payphones. Um, the VCR, who still has a VCR? I know we're holding on. Yeah, and uh, we had one, it died, but it's slowly becoming obsolete. We're probably going to be using DVDs, if not just our computers, to watch movies. Uh, how about the phone book? Uh, we get the phone book, and I just want to throw it in the recycle bin because I don't I don't use it. I guess if the Internet's down, then my, I might need my, my phone book. Um, but things are, are becoming obsolete. They, they are being replaced by, by newer technologies. Now, what's unique about that and the way that that illustration breaks down is that when we think about the promise, we talked about the promise last week. Do you remember this? The, the, the promise that God made to Abraham. And the question was, has the law come in and replaced the promise? And Paul's argument is, no, the promise continues and the law does not change the promise that was made, like a will. The will has been set and it cannot be changed by something coming 430 years later as the law did. With things like payphones and VCRs and, and phone books, we, we had, they, they were needed, but we have something that has come and, and replaced them. This is more like something is perfectly good and functioning fine, and something new comes along and says, well, I'm going to accomplish the exact same thing. This is the only illustration that came into mind, and it, and I don't know if it makes any sense or not, but I'll, I'll just share it with you. Imagine that you owned a helicopter. I know, it's, it's a weird illustration. <laughs> but imagine you owned a helicopter and it works just fine. It's got the propeller on the top and it goes up and down and you can fly anywhere you want. And someone comes to you and they say, I'm going to help you make that helicopter fly by putting another set of blades on the bottom of it. That's going to help you fly. And you say, well, it already flies. I don't, I don't need more because it, it's already accomplishing the purpose that it needs to. I know that's strange illustration, but what Paul in some sense was saying was that the, the promise accomplish salvation. So the law comes along. What's the purpose of the law? Is it adding to that? Is it is it changing it? Is it trying to do the same thing? No, it's not necessary. Is that the is that what the law is? That's the million dollar question this morning. Why the law? Paul seems to have made the law useless and unnecessary, as obsolete as a payphone on the corner. Um, and if that's the case then then we have a problem. We have a problem because the law, it, it comprises a, a major portion of our scriptures. Not only that, but it was given by God. Why did God give the law if it's, if it's just useless? So that Paul later on could say, well, there's no reason for the law. There have been people that have done this, actually, who said the law is obsolete. And they said, you know, we've got the New Testament. All this stuff in the back of the of the book is is unnecessary. Let's just take the 27 books of the New Testament, and we we don't need the law, we don't need the prophets because this new revelation has come. 
And while we don't do that, maybe some of us um, in practice, we, we focus more on, on the New Testament than we do on the law and on the Old Testament. We don't understand what its, its relevance is. So has Paul destroyed the legitimacy of the law? Is it even necessary? Well, we're going to see that Paul does not advocate this anti-law approach. Rather, what he's going to show us in Galatians chapter 3, verses 19 through 25 is this that the law is a servant of salvation by grace through faith. The law is a servant of salvation by grace through faith. Let's read Galatians 3, verses 19 through 25, and then we'll talk about why the law. Galatians 3, beginning in verse 19. Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator, until the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. Now, a mediator is not for one party only, whereas God is only one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. For if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. But the scripture has shut up everyone under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. So again, this main point of these verses is the law is a servant of salvation by grace through faith. And so we want to answer this question, though, why the law? What is the purpose of the law? The first thing that we're going to see here is that the law was added because of transgressions. The law was added because of transgressions. We're going to flush that out and see what does that actually mean. But you see that in verse 19. Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions. Now, that could mean a couple different things. The phrase could mean that it was added to restrain transgressions, to, to hold them back. The law and its penalties deter people from sinning. If there's a consequence for sinning, for breaking the law, and that consequence is severe, then it's going to hold people back from doing it. This is often called the, the civil use of the law. It's kind of like what the government does and what the, the scriptures tell us to obey the government because they hold the power of the sword, because they can cause punishment on us. Let's say you were a person who stole and you turned on the news one night to find out that the new law, a new law had been put in place that if anyone was convicted of stealing, they were now going to have their right hand cut off, which is kind of an old law in some places. I don't know if that's still true anywhere. But if that was the case, you suddenly might be cured of your propensity and your desire to steal. Uh, the law has a, a restraining effect. It, it keeps you from doing it. Andrew and I were watching this old courtroom drama uh, last night, and they were talking to this lady who was, they thought she was committing perjury, that she was lying under oath. And they reminded her, they said, listen, the penalty for perjury is very severe. If you are going to perjure yourself, you will spend a long time in jail. And they, they told her, this is the penalty. We are warning you up front that if you do this, something is going to happen. They were seeking to restrain her from doing something that would 
cause something later on. That is one of the, the purposes of the law. That's one of the purposes of parenting. My children know that there are consequences for their disobedience, and the thought of those consequences oftentimes will keep them from doing something. We as parents have a responsibility to put those consequences in front of them because we're helping them see if you do this, uh, things will go bad for you. Uh, that is the law. The law is the law is um, intended to give life, but if we go outside the bounds of the law, then it brings death. The law is intended to be good, but if we disobey it, it brings evil into our lives. Of course, you know, the flip side of that, as far as a parent, is if I tell my children not to do something, it often awakens in them this desire to do it. So if I say, don't touch your sister, it may have the opposite effect. It may make them say, well, now I want to touch my sister. Now I want to do what is is uh, is now forbidden from me. The prohibition makes them want to break the rule. Why is that? This desire, it's, it's in all of us, isn't it? That we want to do what we're not supposed to do. I was walking through our neighborhood and I was walking on the sidewalk and I saw this little cardboard sign that someone had put up and it said, don't walk on the grass. Uh, up to that point, I had no intention of walking on this person's grass. It hadn't even crossed my mind. But now that I was told that I wasn't allowed to, it made me think, well, I want to walk on the grass and just see what happens. Do you know that, that feeling in our hearts? It's okay to, to have a law, but if you tell me I'm not supposed to do something, then it just kind of makes me want to do it. <laughs> Attempted, yes. It would seem that, that this is kind of what Paul means. One, one purpose of the law is to restrain sin by, by talking about the, the consequences. But here's another purpose. This is unique. Another purpose of the law is to increase sin. The law does this by, by naming what sin is. It shows us what the sin is, but then it also is this, this catalyst for our rebellious hearts that it makes us want to break the law. In Romans chapter 7, Paul says this. Romans 7 verses uh, 7 through 8. He talks about the law and he says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. What he's saying is that the law, when it says, don't covet, it shows me that, well, I covet. Therefore, I am breaking the law. It increases sin. It reveals that that is sin. And on, on, kind of the, on the other side of that is, when it says, don't covet, our sinful hearts say, well, now I want to covet, because you told me not to. So the law, in fact, increases sin. It, it, it produces sin. So, so Paul asked this question, remember Galatians 3.19, why the law then? It was added because of transgressions. It was added to reveal and to increase transgressions. Now, after making that statement, we're going to come right back to that, but after making that statement, he kind of adds this aside. If, if you look at verse 19, why the law then? It was added because of transgressions, having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator, until the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. Now a mediator is not for one party only, whereas God is only one. 
Okay, verse 19, let's kind of walk through this. He says it's been, the law has been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator. Uh, elsewhere in scripture, it talks about how the law came through angels, Acts 7 and, and um, Hebrews 2. So there's this, God gives the law to angels, and then it says through angels by the agency of a mediator. That mediator is Moses. The angels deliver the law to Moses, and then Moses delivers the law to the people. So there's this this chain of command. God gives the law to the angels who then deliver it to Moses and Moses delivers it to the people. It says it says having been ordained through the angels by the agency of a mediator until the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. Now a mediator is not for one party only whereas God is one. It would seem that what Paul is trying to argue here is that the the law is inferior to the promise because the promise came directly from God to Abraham. There was no mediator. But the law came from God to angels, to Moses, then to the people. Now, then again, these verses could mean something completely different. There are, in fact, said to be over 300 different interpretations of what Galatians 3.20 means. So, that's about all the time we're going to spend on it. <laughs> because um, as I was listening to a, a sermon on these these verses, Alistair Begg, who's one of my favorite preachers, said um, about this passage, he was talking about it, and he said, this is a reminder to us to keep the plain things the main things, and the main things the plain things. So in other words, the things that are clear are the things that we should focus on. If there are 300 different interpretations of what these verses mean, then I think we should we should do our best to understand them. But we should not absorb ourselves with all our time trying to understand what people are going to continue to debate no matter continue to debate no matter what we say about it. There are things in scripture that are confusing. Let's just say that right up. In in youth group, we are tackling Mark chapter 13, which is Jesus' discourse about the end times. And man. It is hard to understand. We spent Friday night just saying, you know what, let's read the passage and just just say all the questions we have. Any question we have about this passage, let's just write it all down, and then over the next few weeks we're going to do our best to answer it. And when we get to the end, we may have more questions than we began with. And then we will stop, and we will move on. And we'll, we'll, we'll focus on the main thing, the plain thing, that Jesus is going to return. And that's the point here, I think, is that the main thing is that God is one. Uh, we can draw out of this that, that the law has come between, come through mediators, but God gave the promise to Abraham. Um, I think this is a good warning for us. Some people like to pounce on the difficult portions of scripture as a reason for rejecting all of it, and others neglect the important and clear teaching of scripture just to, to jump here and try to figure out all the mysteries. But I think that there, there's a place for that careful study and, and wrestling with scripture, but to neglect the main point is is we do that to our peril, and we never apply anything, and, and the scriptures never change our lives. It just becomes something we argue about. So again, the, the main thrust of this passage so far is that why the law, it was added because of transgression. It was added to expose and to increase transgressions. Now that may seem a little strange to you, doesn't it? It, it may seem that God has set us up for failure on purpose. You know, it's like some sort of carnival game. You, you go to the carnival and, and you want to play one of these games and it's it's rigged. 
it's it's a basketball hoop and they give you a basketball and the and and the hoop is let's say 16 inches in diameter and the basketball is 17 inches in diameter you can't win it's impossible they've set you up for failure is this some some kind of cruel trick is that what god is doing we said before the problem isn't the law the problem is us and it's our use of the law if God had set up the law as a means of gaining salvation and then made the law impossible, then it would be a cruel trick, wouldn't it? If he says, here's the standard, here's what you need to do to uh, to gain salvation, and then he says, and you can't do it, then that would be pretty cool. It, it'd be like a rigged carnival game. But is that the purpose of the law? As we've gone through Galatians, we've seen that the law is not a ladder. Remember we talked about that, that the law is not the means of us getting to God. That's not what it's intended to be. Rather, it's intended to reveal and increase transgressions. That's that first point. But here's the flip side of that. Here's the second thing that the law was added for. The law was added to lead us to Christ. The law was added to lead us to to Christ. Look at verse 21. Paul asks the question again, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. For if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on the law. He says, if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would have been based on the law. But that's not what the law was given for. He says, What's going on is the, the false teachers are coming in and they're saying, you need to keep the law. And Paul says, no, that's not what the purpose of the law was. The law was to show that you're a sinner and then to point you to Christ. Remember, the law is in service to salvation by grace alone, through faith alone. It's a servant to these promises. It was not intended to impart life. Rather, verse 22, the scripture, the law has shut up everyone under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. There's a large percentage of our congregation that works in the medical field. Uh, the law acts like a CAT scan machine. Is it called CAT scan or is it CT now? Is there a difference? Kind of the same thing? Okay, we'll talk about it. You can explain it to me later. But the law acts like, like, a, like a CAT scan machine. The CAT scan, it doesn't provide the cure, does it? I mean, it doesn't do anything to make a person better. What does it do? It reveals the internal issues that lead the doctors to the best possible remedy. The law acts in the same way. It's like this CAT scan where it goes in. We, we, go, we go into the law, and it shows all of the areas of rebellion. It shows us where we have sinned. It shows us the, the need that we have of Christ. And then it shows us, what the solution is. It shows us the remedy. It shows us the cure. And the cure is Christ. You don't take the CAT scan machine and expect it to do both things, to not only show you where you have, where, where you're sick, but also to heal you. That's not the purpose of it. Its purpose is to show you where you are sick and then to reveal what the best diagnosis and the best way forward is. And that is the purpose of the law. It shows us our sin and then it points us to Christ. He gives some illustrations here in verses 23, 24, and 25. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, 
being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. First he says the, the law is like, it's like a warden. It's like a, a jail guard. And we are imprisoned um, by the demands of the law, and the law holds us captive. The law is like the guard that stands outside the prison cell and makes sure that we don't escape. The second part says that the law is like a, a tutor, which the, the word there is, is hard to translate because it's so rooted in, in the culture of the day. What it means is the law is like a, a nanny. The, the Greeks in that day, they had, um, they would, their children, if they were in the upper class, obviously, and had money to do, to afford this, um, their children would, would be born and later in their lives they would be handed over to, a, um, probably a slave in the household that was, like a, a nanny that would watch the, this child until the child grew to maturity to be out on his or her own. And, and the nanny or the, the tutor or whatever you want to call it would, would walk with this child, would raise the child. And, and one of the main rules was to discipline the child, was to make sure that the child was not doing something that he or she shouldn't do or that the child was doing what he or she was supposed to be doing. So the, it was a tutor, a, a nanny, uh, it, if that makes sense, hopefully, because the word doesn't translate real well. But the goal was to, to walk with this child through their uh, youth and to discipline and to guide them into a place where they could then be out on their own. There's some similarities between these these two illustrations. The first is that the our time with the law is not particularly enjoyable. If we're said to be imprisoned by the law, and the law is like a jail warden, it's not something that we're really happy about. Uh, and the same is true with the, with the nanny. The nanny is someone who, again, one of the main functions was to discipline. The law is not something that makes us very happy. It's something that, that locks us in. It's something that disciplines us. It's something that reveals our sin. So our time with the law isn't really enjoyable. Also, the law is leading us to something greater. Uh, part of the, the the picture of being imprisoned that, that sounds terrible, but it's also a, a protection in this instance. It's keeping the person for something else. We can think about when Paul was imprisoned, and you remember the the group of people took a, a vow that they were not going to eat until they had killed Paul, and a word got out, and and it was delivered to the leaders, and they said, "Well, we're going to protect Paul." So Paul was in prison, but he received protection from being killed by these men who had made a vow. I always wondered, did they ever eat? You know, because they never did kill Paul, but they had made this vow that they weren't going to eat until they did. That's that's a whole different topic. But the, the, Paul's imprisonment was a negative thing, but it led him and it helped him to be to, to something greater, to be released, to to, to be um, preserved. The same is true with the tutor and and the 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 nanny. It's it's not a particularly enjoyable time. It's not something where the child is happy because they feel like their freedom is being infringed upon or that they're being disciplined all the time. They don't really enjoy it, but it's leading to something greater. So we always try to tell our kids when we're disciplining them, you know, this isn't something that you want now, but it leads to you being a productive member of society who doesn't uh, go off and, and do things that are foolish and will harm you later on. So we don't enjoy it at the time, but it's leading to something greater. And finally, the, the, the last thing that, that I think Paul is trying to communicate here is that the law expires when we are led to Jesus. So we don't enjoy this time. It leads us to something greater, and then it's, it's obsolete after we 
get to the place that we have faith in Christ. The same is true for the for the law. It it serves a function. It imprisons us. It's it's leading us to something greater. But then when we are released from the law, it's unnecessary. The nanny walks with the child through life. It's not something that's particularly enjoyable, but it's leading to something greater. And when that time comes that the child leaves the house and leaves the care of that nanny, then they've gone on to something better. And the nanny is now, in many ways, out of a job. There's no need for the nanny anymore because the child has grown. That's kind of what Paul is saying here, verse 25, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. So the question that we've been asking is, is why the law? Now this may seem all theoretical, and I, and I want to get down to the practical application of this. But, but let's review. So the purpose of the law first was added to, to increase and expose transgression, to show us that we are sinners, to show us our need. And once it shows us our need, then the law pushes us and leads us to Christ. In the same way that a, that, um, a nanny would say, would expose the sin, would, would, would discipline us and show us our sin, but then lead us into a place where we are then free from the law and pointed to what the goal has always been. Uh, that's what the law is doing. So the law is not obsolete, but it is in service to the gospel. So now what? What do we do with this, this knowledge about the law? Is it just kind of or we can now defend the law to, to people. Is that all we're doing? Let me give you two um, applications. And the first is this. We must use the law to reveal sin in us and in others. We must use the law to reveal sin in us and in others. If that is a purpose of the law, then that's how we should use it. Again, we don't use it as a ladder. We don't use it as something where we're trying to gain favor with God. The purpose, one of the purposes of the law is to reveal the sin that is in us. And we do this for ourselves. When we look at the law, it acts as a mirror and it shows us where our sin is at. But we do it with others as well. You know, no one likes someone telling them that there's something wrong with them. Uh, people like to walk through life and assume that they're, they're decent, they're good, they're respectable people. Um, and when we come face to face with the mirror of the law, it shows us our sin. So when we go to someone and we say, you know, what I'd like to do is I'd like to show you the law because what it's going to do is it's going to reveal how bad you are. That's not something that most people want. If you go back to that illustration of a, of a CAT scan, people know that they need it, but they don't really want it. I don't really want to see what's bad. I think it's very ironic when you look at uh, American culture. There are advertising campaigns for people to get different screenings. Uh, for years, I think it's been the, the colonoscopy because it's colon cancer is something that can really be uh, stopped if people get um, a colonoscopy. But no one wants to do it. So we have advertising campaigns saying, you need to get this so you can find out if there's something wrong with you. But everyone says, well, it's inconvenient, and I don't really want to know. Well, I do want to know, but I, I don't want to know. It's that, that wrestling. And what the law does is it tells us something we don't really want to know, but we need to know. Because if we don't know, it's going to bring death. So we come to people. We want to bring good news. We want to bring the good news of the gospel. But where does the good news of the gospel start? It starts when we apply the law to someone's heart and we say, 
These are the Ten Commandments. Have you kept them? And then we, we go to the, to, to Jesus' interpretation of the, of the Ten Commandments. And we think about how he says it's not even whether or not you've done them, it's whether or not you've done them in your heart. So, do you pass the test of the law? Or does the law reveal your sin? We take the law and we, and we, we use it as a means of exposing the sin in other people. It's not something that anyone wants. But if we love someone, then we, we take the law and we show them the sin that is in their life. And the, that's what happens with the law for us, isn't it? That we try to keep the law, we try to do what is right before Christ, and we can't do it. It just reveals the sin that's in us. It, it causes sin to increase. It causes um, us to want to rebel. And then we are pushed towards Christ. And that's the second part. We must use the law to reveal the sin in us and in others. And we must always allow the law to lead us to Christ. We bring people, we bring ourselves to a place of seeing our sin, but then we always push people to Christ. Because that is the, that is the other purpose of the law. It's almost like the flip side of that coin. We reveal the sin, but then we push people to Jesus. It says, um, it says verse 22, but the scripture has shut up everyone under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Verse 24, therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. So the law, the purpose of the law is to reveal our sin and then to push us to Jesus. And we need to do that with with ourselves and with others. As we present the gospel, we bring the law. We tell people that they have broken the law, that they have sinned. And we say, are you trying to keep the law to be right before God? And if they say yes, then we say, then you're totally missing the point. Because that's not the point of the law. And if you're trying to do that, you know what's happening? You know what the law is really doing? It's showing you that you can't do it. It's showing you your sin. And the purpose of the law was never for you to, to work your way to heaven, but it was to show you the need for Christ, to push you to Christ, to point you to your need to believe, to have faith in him alone. Such is true for us as well as believers in a different way. When we're faced with the law, when we're faced with our sin, we need to deal with it. We need to confess our sins, but we confess them to Christ. We're always pushed to Christ. We can get caught in this trap, and I am caught in the trap often, of, of looking at the law and just seeing how much I fail. Just seeing where I don't meet the standard. And if I get to that place, my, the goal is not to then take the law again and make it the ladder where I'm trying to make God happy with me. If the law is doing that, guess what? That's what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to reveal my sin. But if I stop there, then I've missed the point. If all I do is let it expose my sin, then I'm brought under condemnation. But what it's supposed to then do is to push me to Christ and to say, that's right, I have failed, but Jesus never did. That's right, I deserve death, but Jesus took it for me. That's right, I couldn't do the works of the law, but I have faith in Christ because he did, and that is where my salvation rests in. Verse 25 then says, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. The law is unnecessary. What will be fun to see, though, is that in Galatians 5 and 6, Paul brings the law back in and he talks about how the law helps us as Christians. What the purpose of the law is for us. 
We have that civil use of the law. We have this which you might call a spiritual use of the law that reveals our sin. But there's another use of the law that helps us to see as followers of Christ how God would have us to walk. So there's those three unique uses of the law. I won't talk any more about the third one because we'll see it later on in Galatians. But this is kind of the crux of Paul's message about the law. And it's what he's going to keep coming back to. It's what he's been building towards. And it's what he will continue to look back to. But don't make the law something that it's not supposed to be. That was the problem in Galatia, is that they were confused. People were coming and saying, you need to keep the law to make God happy. And Paul says, no, you can't keep the law. That's the point. The point is that you can't do it, and it reveals sin. It increases transgression. And the point of the law is to push you to Jesus. It's not to push you to self-righteousness. It's not to push you to condemnation. It's to push you to Christ, to see him as the means of salvation by faith alone. Let me pray for us. Lord God, I ask that you would allow the truth of your word to sink into our hearts. I pray if I said anything that's not true, that you would push that out of our minds. But those things that are true, that they would settle down deep into us, Lord, by the power of your Spirit. That these things wouldn't be stuff that we just know in our head, that we can rattle off the uses of the law. But they would be things that sink into our hearts in ways that we use the law to fight sin and to glorify you. Ways that we use the law to expose the sin in those that we love and push them to Jesus. We thank you for Jesus. What an amazing thing. That all of the promises, that the law itself, that everything was pointing to Christ. That the promise was fulfilled in the seed who was to come. And that is Christ. That the law was supposed to reveal sin. Why? So that it would push us to Jesus. Lord, your word is amazing. And it's amazing because it reveals this beautiful plan of salvation, this beautiful plan of rescuing us, of of saving us, of making us right before you. And so, Lord, we, we come and the law has pierced our hearts. It has shown our sin. It's done that so often. We see it. We The disease has been revealed. But in every part of us wants to try and make it right ourselves by self-righteousness or something that that we can do. But we confess now, Lord, that we cannot. And we allow the law to not push us inward and to, to push us to effort, but rather to push us to Jesus. And we come to you, Lord, and just afresh and anew we say we cannot keep the law. We are sinners, Lord, but we have been saved by the power of the gospel, by Jesus Christ, by faith alone, through your grace alone. And we worship you because of that, Lord. And so expose the sin. As John 3 says, Lord, we want to run to the light so that you can expose the darkness in us and and get rid of it then. But we pray that you would help us to take the light of the law, that we would run to those where there is darkness and that we would lovingly and, and by your grace expose the darkness that is in them and then show them the remedy, show them that Jesus has come to save them. Not by what they do, but by faith alone. 
thank you, God, for your word, that every week we can open it up and we can see something beautiful. Lord, we admit there are confusing parts, and yet we just relish in the fact that there are so many beautiful truths that you have given us. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.